So this is day three. Uh, green is my favorite color. I mean, my absolute favorite color. I guess that explains why I love springtime so much. Um, some of you know that uh, I've said this in the past that I keep a flowering journal. Yeah, that's a geek alert. Um, I have a flowering calendar and uh, that's because I keep a keen eye on my yard and I like to chart when every plant begins to flower. For instance, you do. So for instance, the hibiscus this year and the crepe myrtle, they're just a little ahead of schedule. There you go. There's a little tidbit. All right. Um, so, but why do I do this? It's not just because I'm a nerd. Um, it's because I have a dream, right? Now it is not as big as Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, right? But it is a dream of mine that uh, starting in March all the way to October, that I will have a consistent a consistently flowering yard because I want to be an old man one day and drag up my chair and sit in any kind of angle and I will be able to see something flowering from March into October. Now, is it possible? I'm not sure, but I want to be able to pull it off. It is possible. See, Scott Cottrell, Kennedy and McKibben. Why are y'all being such naysayers? Thank you. Thank you, Scott. So Fridays are my day off. And most Fridays, you can find me looking a little bit like this. <clears throat> so uh, not, as, uh, not as put together as I am this morning, but um, all right, so rags for clothes, dirt under my fingernails, the smell of gasoline, rags, you know, for everything. And that is because there's an old Jewish proverb out there that says, if you work with your hands, you need to Sabbath with your mind. But if you work with your mind, you need to Sabbath with uh, your hands. And so most Fridays, I look a little bit like this, tattered as it is, but I'm in my yard. I love it. I think it is amazing kind of moments. And this season above all the other seasons in the flowering calendar is my favorite because this is hydrangea season, right? So if you know, or if you're from the South, you love hydrangeas. Um, and I do. Um, I love green, I love foliage, I love verdant blasts, I love ferns, I love stems, I love grasses. In fact, Kennedy and I, we just took a small little trip around our yard and we came up with this little bouquet of beauty, right? It took us maybe six minutes total to be able to come up with two of these all at the same time. That's right. This is all from my yard. This is not from a florist. So you can come to my backyard anytime, right? And Kennedy and I will make one of these for you. All right. So suppose you're new to our series. Uh, we are studying the six days of creation found in Genesis chapter one. And on the third day, we get land. And that land and that land mass, it produces some type of vegetation that says it sprouts, right? So the main idea today is that God demonstrates his sovereign design by creating a land mass, that's what we call earth, that sets the stage for the sustenance of life. That's point number one, right? Variation, right? And then the stability of creation. That's where we're going to be all throughout is to understand what it means with this land mass. So let's just jump into what it means for this idea of sovereign sustenance. And God said, let the water, waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters he gathered together. He called seas and he saw that it was good. That's nine and 10. 
So in God's sovereign sustenance, you need to verse, just talk a little bit of grammar. And the grammar is that God gets the credit, right? It's pretty simple first point, yet you need to understand because of the sustenance, we can give credit other places. We deem to give God credit because of chapter one. In fact, in this passage alone, you see God as the subject of our passage five different times. Up to this point, just the, the, the verses that I read, you see him as the subject 13 times. And of the 31 verses in chapter one of Genesis one, you will see God mentioned 32 times in 31 verses. God is the, gets, should get all the credit. In the beginning, God, hard stop. And that's what we're trying to convince. To, to share with us this, this summer is that God should get the credit. This is an excellent place for us to understand like he has created the order. Uh, we picked this topic this summer is because uh, we think that the very origin of beginnings is probably under attack. You may have not noticed that before. So we desire to look back at our beginnings, to look back at our Genesis and look at the place where we see or we would tell you what we see happens. Here in chapter one, underneath the, the biblical authority, we see that God has created all things. So in Camp Redstone, you've got little kids, you know, in the back. We've got big kids out here. But we're all trying to share the exact same thing. We want to instill in all of us, in all of our hearts, that God gets the credit. He should get the credit for the creation. And we look at his characteristics and we see it. And one of, that, one of those characteristics is that he is sovereign. And he provides the sustenance that we do. So we trust the Bible here at Redstone Church. And we believe that it gives us answers to life's most difficult questions. And that's because um, we are trying to fight against every other institution that is trying to give credit elsewhere, right? Giving, giving it to chance or random or whatever you want to give the credit to. Today, we want to just share just because of some nouns in a verse that God should get the credit. And so in this passage and every other, you know, passage in ch uh, chapter one, we see that God should get the credit. He should get the glory. He is set apart as the prime mover and he is the initiator of all things in the beginning, God, full stop. And so what does God do on day three? He simply creates land, right? Here it is. He separates the, the waters, right? He calls them seas and he allows this thing called terra firma, right? This land to appear, right? And so under God's, uh, he gets the credit, but we see that he is now providing a framework for essential substances, okay? So with the appearance of land, you get this idea that essential substances need a framework. It needs some kind of framing. It needs some kind of boundary. And that's what we get with land. We now have something, this framework, this picture frame, this something that will allow essential sustenance to happen. The critical elements up to this point have been light, we need light, right? He separated light from darkness. We need that on day one. He then provided sky, right? He, he, but he talked primarily about waters and separating the, the waters from the waters. And so we need this water in our environment. And now we get land. So the three main essential pieces are now put in place. 
whether it's water, whether it's light, or now we have land. Now we have the framework for an essential kind of where life actually begins. So did that happen by accident? Did it happen by chance? Or should God get the credit for these things? He knew before we knew what we needed. And that's why we're using the word sovereign. He nuded, he nuded. He was nudited. Is this being recorded? Uh, Eric, can we just push pause, push erase, and then I'll just start from the very beginning. I don't even know what I was trying. He, I don't even know where I was going with that. But the word nuded is such a terrible. All right. So... Um, we're just going to go back to these words and not trust these words. So, um, so draw your attention to this idea of separation. He drew, maybe that's what it was. He is drawing a separation here from light and darkness. There's a contrast here. Light is different from darkness, right? Waters are different from waters. And now he's saying seas are different from land. Land. That is what we get on day three, right? We've had waters, right? We're just, we're just uh, pulling them around and putting them in one place. But land, man, that's the different one here. He gathers these waters and he calls them seas. He, uh, notice here that it is plural, right? So I don't understand exactly what we're doing here because he's gathering it in one place, but he's calling them seas. So we can already start to see the different types of water sources on planet earth. This is very different from the generic covering that we see in chapter, or, uh, chapter one, verse two, and on day two. And from this passage and on others, we understand that these seas now have a boundary. You can only go this far, God says. So he looks to the seas and he says, you cannot extend past its borders. So Job 38 says something, something like this. He says, who are you to answer me? And he says, who is the one who shut the seas with doors when it burst out of the womb, when I made clouds for garments, a thick darkness is swaddling band and prescribes limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. So that's very po poetic in this idea that the seas now have a boundary because you have this thing, this landmass that's creating truly a coastline. The seas are great, right? We see waters in you know, all three days of creation or, or at least the same passage. And so we need water to sustain light. However, we need more than that, right? So I'm just doing some reading on just the detriment of water. And I found a report of even the roughest, most challenging sea dogs in the U.S. Navy. And the story goes that these men are born to live on the water, to navigate them, to work them, to fight in them. However, even these trained, skilled men melt after six months on the water. They just go crazy. They literally, they just, they go crazy. And that's because they need something other than the sea. So what does he create, right? He's gathering the waters, but here we go. The, the thing that he's creating is land. This dry land appears and he calls this earth. And from the context here, we know that the dry land is the pinnacle of day three creation. This is the new sus, uh, substance that's introduced on this day. Psalm 95 says, I have formed the seas, I've made it, and then also I've formed the land. Can you imagine just the power of that day? 
the idea that you just have silky water that's forming the horizon. It looks like the ocean. And then just a rumbling appears because one God is with his swath of a hand or an arm. He's gathering the waters into one place and he's allowing this land to emerge with one big command. He says, this is what I want you to appear. And there we get land. This landmass immediately thrusts out of the waters and it's creating this giant upheaval. This idea of a disruption of this formless, waterly void, uh, watery void now has limits. It has a contrast even in the waters. This is land. This is land. Some say that uh, Pangea, it could have happened, all right? So if you are a Pangea fan, all right, this is all seven continents all kind of glued together. This is what potentially was submerged underneath the oceans and then appeared all on day three. This is a bursting. This is a thrust. This is what happens. We need more than sea. We need more than water to survive. We need land. God knew that. That's why the sustenance was so sovereign. He knew that we needed land. We sang it this morning because there's a gospel reality that even spiritually we stand on the solid rock, right? Jesus is our rock. Even on this, in the Sermon of the Mount, he says, be careful, little ones. When you follow me, build your house, build your life on a rock, not on shifting sand. He tells us there's more than seas. He tells us that land is necessity, is a necessity. Land gives us the access we need for life in a way that the heavens cannot, the way that the seas cannot. Just consider the historic narrative. You have Moses, right? And he's talking to these Hebrews. They've yet to become full-fledged Israelites. They're not even a, na a nation. They're just a, a group of people wandering through a wilderness. And what Moses is doing in the, in, the, in the beginnings here, right? In Genesis, he's giving them a place to plant their feet. I want you to be able to have something to believe in. And that's why he starts here in Genesis with the creation account. And how does he start? He starts with reminding them of the thing that they just went through. Of course, we understand that they were slaves. They were slaves in e Egypt. There was a tyrannical Pharaoh, right? Who made them, you know, build the entire Egyptian society, you know, for, for, for nothing. He put tons of burdens on them and then God rescued the nation of Israel. Remember the story? He rescued them out of Israel and, sh and shoved them into the promised land. But how did he get there? How did they get there? Do you remember? by parting the Red Sea. So if you looked at the, the movie, you're right, the Prince of Egypt, this is how it looked, right? He parted the waters from the waters and he allowed what? Dry land to appear. For the nation of Israel, for the Hebrews of Hebrews to understand God's story, to say the way that we're going to get out of this jam is through hard, dry land called earth. And so earth is even from the very beginnings of the story is a picture of salvation, not only because Jesus is our solid rock, because the Hebrews would understand that the, with the parting of the Red Sea, they needed land to get across. They would not be able to swim in and of themselves. This is how God saves. This is a gospel reality that dry land would be their salvation. And they needed something solid other than waters to stand on. 
Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's. The volcanoes are his, the earth's crusts is his, the mantle, the core, all of it is the Lord's, right? And so we needed land, right? But there's some things going on with land, right? Not only is there just sovereign sustenance, but you see this idea that it's creating some vegetation and it's starting to sprout. And you see this little phrase called according to its kind. And the Lord said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. That's Genesis 1.11. And so you see this idea of sustenance as well as variation. So on day three, you see God created a place suitable for life. And that's key to the entire message, right? Now you have something suitable, a, a substance that will be able to support real life. To understand the six unique days of creation, you understand, you have to understand that this, these days of creation is what the scriptures will say will fill the earth. That's because verse one and one, two says that this place is void and it's formless and it's empty, right? This is kind of the nature of it. And the Lord starts filling it and making it different. So I want to, um, so land gives us a place for vegetation, right? So this is what we call green day, right? The first day was bright or light or something like that. The second day was blue. And this day is green day. Very different from the 90s band that you all uh, don't know about. All right, so this is green day. But green day is significant because look at this. Uh, whoever puts together my slides probably should have had a green slide rather than a blue one, but that's okay. Look at day one. Day one, you see there's light, separating light from darkness. Day number two, you see the separated, the water from the waters, creating the sea and the sky, creating the horizon. Here we are on day three and you see land and vegetation, right? We understand this so far. Well, the, on layer one is this, this idea of bright or light, okay? Because day one and day four, they have some symmetry. Look at that. Light from darkness, and then on day four, you see sun, moons, and stars. You see these, what we're calling light bearers. On day number two, you see separated waters from waters, where you understand the horizon. Look what happens on day, on day five. The skies get inhabitants, and so do the waters. You get fish. That's some symmetry. That's pretty amazing, right? And here we have green day, right? This idea of, of land and vegetation that's about to sp sprout. And that's because sustenance is needed for what is going to happen on day Day six, animals and humans are about to inherit this. So as mentioned before, what we have on day three, right, is the completion of a framework for a universe that was not yet complete, but is coming into completion. You have sky, you have seas, you have light, and now you have earth. And now sustenance or existence can happen. The first part of the chart is with God filling the physical structures of the universe. Then the second part of the chart, the, the right-hand part of the chart, is him filling it so that we can dwell there together. Day three is a key moment in, in the creation account. This is the day that allows for the things that take your breath away. Think about the landscapes and the plains and the meadows. Think about your favorite forest or your canyons. Think about your beach spot or your lakes or your rivers, the streams or waterfalls, Watauga Lake or Buffalo Mountain or Laurel Falls, jagged mountains and soft meadows, all of this on day three. 
Because day three changes this barren place, this unfruitful place, this colorless planet with something alive. Let us worship God for the things that are now living or having the ability to live. So vegetation is the staple of of this. It gives us a place for vegetation, but vegetation is just, I mean, this is kind of duh, but vegetation is the staple for life. Without vegetation, we wouldn't have much. And so God's creative work continues with the command, right? Like earth, I want you to sprout forth vegetation. Notice that God didn't create the vegetation. The vegetation was in just the nutrients of the earth itself. So it's less of a command or less of creation and more of a command. Earth, I want you to sprout vegetation. And in all of the other creation accounts, we see him creating ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. He's just speaking and it's appearing, right? And so that's what he did. I want to gather the waters and want the land to appear. That's ex nihilo. But here, the sprout forth is this idea that it's coming from within. This idea of sprouting vegetation is Hebrew for to shoot forth, right? Also, this is a great 4th of July passage, right? Because this is what fireworks do. They shoot forth, right? They just sprout. They just spring from earth and they grow in great color and variation. Any other theory that argues that God did something other than speak and something other than an instantaneous obedience from his creation does a great disservice to this text. God gets the credit. This text shows not only, not a slow and an arduous attempt of multiple passes of perfection, but instead a clear sense of immediate and observable obedience to the created order. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. There's no delays in the sprouting forth of vegetation. There's no lingering. There's, there's just a bursting forth of dry land that's, and, this, and the seas are separated. Any reality that denies anything other than the immediacy of each day of creation does God a disservice. We're here to praise God and to thank him for what he has done for us. Notice here, vegetation is a staple of life, but also understand that giraffes weren't created until a tall tree was planted. Cows weren't created unless there was a meadow first waiting for them to graze. This is an amazing picture of us, for us. But also see this little phrase here that's become one of my favorites, is this idea that there's a variation and this variation it just is, uh, shares the very heart of the creator, right? The brilliance of the creator is that it's in the variation. This idea of according to its, its kind. If you just look at Genesis 1, it happens 10 times in our passage. 10 times you hear the phrase according to its kind. Not just in our passage, but all of chapter 1. Because this variance, this variation is at the heart of who God is. He's not monotonous. He's not stale. He's not boring, right? Just look to the person to your left and right. Look at each other's facial structures and hair colors. I mean, just look at us. Look at the variation. Dropping the, uh, the team off, heading to Honduras. Now Shelby goes, you know that my mom did some uh, research on Honduras and there's 600 different kinds of orchids in Honduras alone. 
I'm like, 600 orchids? Why do you need one? I mean, like 600 variations. And that's in one country in, um, in South America. Just think of the variation and give God the credit that he deserves for this variation according to its time, uh, kind. Every shape, every form, every uh, color, all of it is building confidence in, in us that God knows what he's doing. Remember the last fantastic meal that you enjoyed that you're like, that was awesome. Right? You can get full with like beans and rice, right? We don't need it to not, not go hungry. But the last meal that you enjoyed, there were some delicacies because there was a variety of them. Here we have planet Earth, right? Now getting land and this idea that what God is showing off in the local farmer's market or a botanical gar garden or even the local arboretum is this idea that there is variance upon variance upon variance. Number three is this idea of multiplication. Another key theme on day three is this introduction of seed. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was very good. This multiplication is just this idea of perpetual sustainability is built in from the beginning right? This idea that this seed or this fruit that has a seed, well, it's, it's this perpetual nature of this idea that it's going to be able to sustain itself. The word seed is f mentioned four times in our passage alone. It's emphasizing this idea that reproduction is from God, right? In order for life to give a point to life is that the creator has endowed this power of self-replication from the very beginning. And this is before anything is going to consume them. Multiplication, this idea of seeds and these seeds that reproduce and these seeds that are caring deeply for one thing and one thing only. And do you know what that is? The future. Multiplication is more about tomorrow than it is today. A seed is in its infancy, nothing like what it will be, what it will become. God's eternal vision for earth is built in right here on day three that something will multiply, something will go forward, something that, that we will not see in the future is actually here, present with us today. So much so that uh, we understand fully and completely that God's foreknowledge is right here in creation. God knew what we needed. And in that, he knew that the fruit and its seed would need to go forward fully and completely. Wendell Berry says it like this. He says, the seed is in the ground and now, we, um, now may we rest in hope. That there's nothing else for us to do other than to rest in something that might happen while darkness does its work. So on day three, there's land, right? And land but what does land do, right? Land bursts forth this idea of vegetation, but it's also now an inhabitant for a seed. And the seeds that we're enjoying today are like great, great, great grandfathers of the early seeds of day three, because God knew that we would need the sustainability there. God's effort shows that animals and humans hadn't even inhabited the earth yet, and yet he's already thinking about us. 
He's meticulously, meticulously setting up creation for success in the future. We once again get to push back against the cultural attempt that make creation seem random and accidental when in fact we know the only way we have what we need is because he planned it that way. And that's the role of multiplication. Spiritually speaking, that's the role of multiplication. If you've been at Redstone Church very long, you understand that we have a discipleship process. We just call the table. And this idea that the four things that you need to live a healthy, sustainable, stable, nutritious, you know, uh, life is this idea that you need worship, community, service, and multiplication. That's the fourth and the last leg. You need to worship God fully and completely. You need to live in community. You need to use your gifts, right? And to serve other people. And yet you need to see past yourself. You need to look more at tomorrow than even today in this idea of multiplication. At Redstone Church, multiplication is what we live and literally will die by this principle that God has placed us as people to be fruit with seed, to multiply. Not just in a human sense, but in a spiritual sense that we are to give away to the next generation the things that we know is true about God. We too need to multiply. We need to see this multiplication as our job and our opportunity. Day three needs to mean so much to us, even spiritually. We're more than just a shiny plant and a bouquet of flowers, but we're a life that bears spiritual fruit that has seeds that will outlast our life. Seeds that will outlast our life. And that's what we see on day three. You've got a prayer card in your seat and we want you all to just just wrestle with this idea of, of your multi, the life that is full of multiplication. I know that life is hectic and life is crazy and the here and now is consuming everything. We totally get it. But is there an inkling in your heart to even look for tomorrow, to look at when you're, you know, you're dead and gone and look back at your legacy? We pray and what we've prayed for all of our congregation is that we, when we're dead and gone and we're being buried, that the thing that will be said of us is that we lived a great commission to life. And part of that great commission life is this idea that multiplication was in our hearts and it manifested itself into our lives. And so on our prayer card, we want to, you to wrestle with this question. Like, are you pursuing a multiplied life? And so some of you will be able to say yes and will be able to ask for, you know, like help me or come alongside me as I'm pursuing a multiplied life. And you'll be able to respond like in this way, I need prayer. I'm in this way, I need support. And you'll be able to answer in the affirmative of yes, but I still need some supplements. And then number two, are you pursuing the multiplied life? Maybe you haven't even thought about multiplication as a part of your job description as a Christian. Maybe that is the thing that is laid dormant in your life is this idea of the future or future making. And so maybe what you need to write on your prayer card is, I need a little help or I need a few tools. I'm open. I just don't know where to start. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn this service, you know, this part of the service completely over to the Lord. And this is between you and the Lord and then the community care team who will read your responses. 
right? But we want you to dialogue with that prayer card, right? Even if you're doodling, right? And just uh, whatever, just, just fake it. Just act like you're writing something down. But God, we, we would love to spend a good three or four minutes just, uh, just with you engaging this question. Are you pursuing a multiplied life? And turn that into some sort of, of ask, some kind of prayer request. Our full trust, Lord, is not in the vegetation that sprouts. We even stand and we say, Lord, that all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass will wither and the flowers will fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. We know that even this vegetation that sprouts will wilt and the flowers will fall. We are built to trust in something more And for that, Lord, we look to you and only you. This morning, as we take communion, Lord, we pray that uh, we look at the bread that we will eat that comes from the grain from the ground. And we understand that something had to give up its life in order to bring us sustenance. In the same way, we will drink of a cup that comes from the land, a vine that comes, that produces a juice that is from the ground, Day three shapes our way of devotion, even this morning, as we take this bread and we drink this cup. Lord, you wanted to be remembered in this way. And so, Lord Jesus, as your people of faith, people who are following after you, help us to look to you and only you and praise you for bringing us a place that is reliable and stand firm, solid and strong, Lord. Help us to look at the ground that we walk upon and the vegetation around us and help us to be reminded of you and what you have provided for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.